Good morning. This morning, we are beginning a new sermon series that will take us through the season of Lent and into Easter Sunday. We are calling the series Table Talk, Conversations with Jesus of Nazareth. Throughout the gospel, Jesus broke bread, he shared wine, he multiplied fish, he went to parties and dinners, and he hosted his own Passover. The fact that Jesus ate, that he partook in meals, is incredible enough. It speaks to his humanity, a common thread that we can all share. But more important than what he ate at each of these meals is what happens at the meals themselves. Transformation, mercy, grace, truth. When Jesus shares a meal with people, they are fed by far more than food. During the season of Lent, we are invited to recognize our own weakness, our own sinfulness, our own need, while also recognizing that it is from Jesus that we are filled. It is our hope that over the next few weeks, the words and stories of Jesus at the table will fill our hearts and minds. You may know this, I did not, but Alcoholics Anonymous was founded in 1935 in the town of Akron, Ohio, by two men. And in the early days of the organization, there was a lively debate about the qualifications for membership. Could certain people be excluded for whatever reason, like a country club? Who gets in? Who's left out? Who decides if a particular alcoholic is deserving or undeserving? Now, some of the core group lobbied to restrict membership to those persons who had moral responsibility. Others insisted that the only admission due was to confess, I think I'm an alcoholic and I want to quit drinking. The debate was solved in the most unusual of ways. It was the second year of its operation, and there were still only two groups that were meeting. A stranger one night came to the door of one of the groups, and he knocked, and he asked to be let in. The man talked frankly with the longest-standing member of the group and quickly established that he was a desperate case. Above all, he wanted to get well. But he said, I must tell you that I am a victim of another addiction with astigmatism even worse than alcoholism. You may not want me among you. Will you let me join your group? There was a dilemma. What should the group do? And so this member went and found two of the other long-standing members and told them in strictest confidence the explosive facts the man had revealed about himself. If we turn this way, man away, he said, he will die soon. If we accept him, who knows what trouble he'll bring upon our group? Yes or no? And at first, the three elders could only look at the objections. We deal with alcoholics only, they said. 
Should we not sacrifice this one for the sake of many? And so the discussion about the newcomer's fate hung in the balance. But then one of the three elders said in a very different tone, what we're really afraid of is our reputation. We are much more afraid about what people might say than the trouble that this man might bring. As we've been talking, five short words have been running through my mind. Something keeps repeating to me. What would the master do? Not another word was said. Our scripture today is another story about people who are concerned about their reputations and people who aren't. We find ourselves at this moment in the early stages of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke. He is performing miracles left and right. Now, the author of the Gospel of Luke is intentional in how he chooses to tell the story of Jesus, and it's not by accident that we find our text grouped with a bunch of miracles. Before we get to our scripture for today, in the preceding verses, we see three miracles that Jesus does. The first is when he comes onto the boat of the man who'd be known later as Peter. These men were out fishing, they had no food, and all of a sudden Jesus has them put their nets on the other side of the boat. Voila, fish for everybody. Peter falls to his knees and proclaims, you are Lord, because in that moment they had seen the abundance and the mercy of God. Jesus then moves on with these men following him, and he comes upon a man who has a skin disease, leprosy. A man who has been forced out of his family, away from his friends for years. And he lays his hand on the man and he makes him clean. And then another guy is brought to him by some friends. A paralytic on a mat. Jesus looks at the man and he tells him, stand up and walk. Your sins are forgiven. And Jesus shows the power of God to restore us to one another, to restore us to our communities here and now, the power of his healing on earth. But many of us don't consider what comes next to be a miracle. But I think that it is perhaps the most impressive miracle that Jesus performs. Now, I need us to be honest for a minute. Like, really honest. Not the kind of honest where we say what we think other people want to hear or we think what we should think, but, but really honest. If an itinerant teacher from a backwater town with no professional training or education showed up into your office and asked you to quit your high-paying job while you sat at your desk to follow him, no promises, no guarantees, would you do it? I don't think so. I don't think I would do it. I know most of us want to be able to say yes. We want to answer yes to that question, but on the average day, most of us 
can't even give up the little things to follow a risen Jesus, let alone the big things in the midst of the mystery. And yet Levi, this guy that everyone hates, that everyone thinks is a terrible person, he hears the voice and he sees the face of Jesus and he stands up and he leaves everything behind. As a tax collector, he has seen both the good and the bad. He has experienced both privilege and isolation. On the one hand, he has aligned himself with the power and the might of Rome. He has political status and he has a lot of money. Money that he's been paid by Rome, but also money that he has most likely stolen from his brothers and sisters. On the other hand, he is considered a traitor to his own people because he has aligned with Rome and he steals from his brothers and sisters. He's a social outcast from his own community. When Jesus speaks to him, when he tells him to follow, Levi has no promise that by giving up the power and the money that he will be restored to anything. And yet still, something in the voice of Jesus causes him to get up and walk away. And not only to walk away, but to throw a party in celebration of this choice. And so Levi invites the only people that he would know to invite. The other tax collectors, the other sinners, those who are on the outside of polite society, who don't fit in or who can't fit in or who just can't hide their sin as well as the rest of us. And Jesus joins in. He joins in this celebration, this celebration of a miracle, of a changed heart, of a faith that is grounded in trust in Jesus. And it's in this moment when there is merriment and joy and cheer that the Pharisees and their scribes approach. And they ask the disciples a question. And it is a question that can be read many ways, though most of us read it the same. When we read this text aloud, we are tempted to add a tone of disgust or of antagonism to it. Why does he eat? with sinners and tax collectors. And it's possible that this is the tone that it was asking. But we also have to remember that this is only the Pharisees' second encounter with Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. They don't have any reason yet to be in conflict with him. And so perhaps it's possible to read their question not as one of antagonism but as a real question why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners doesn't he know how it looks doesn't he know that perception is 90 percent of reality doesn't he know that he risks his very position as teacher in the community when he hangs out with those people we do this all the time. Like the founders of AA or the Pharisees, we are more concerned with our reputation in the community 
than we are with taking part in the life that Jesus offers. And we constantly judge others and choose who we're going to associate with based first on how we think others will perceive us for spending time with them. From the time we're little kids, we pick our friends or our place at the lunch table or our seat on the bus to as we grow older and who we'll invite to our wedding or our birthday or into our small group. We have a tendency to pick people based on their status and reputation first and the true character and quality of their nature second. And we might invite those problematic or shameful people into our lives, but it is usually only on the margin or in secret. I want you to ask yourself this question. How often has fear of what other people will think of you stopped you from doing something in your life? How many times have you made a choice based on what others will think rather than on what you know is right? Rather than what you know is good, rather than what is good for you. And if you're like me, it has been far too often. I often find that I have built myself a prison of my own making. That rather than embracing all of the diversity and quirkiness and fullness of this world and this life that Jesus offers, instead, I have made my life and my world smaller so that I can make sure others approve of it. And we are so worried about what others think and how we look to other people that we miss out on some of the greatest gifts that God would offer. Now, Jesus hears their question, and he answers them in an unexpected way. Why eat with sinners and tax collectors? Because the healthy don't need a doctor, the sick do. Because I didn't come for the righteous. I came for the sinners to change their hearts and lives. And in that moment, Jesus reveals to them and he reveals to us that the only person we should be concerned about, the only opinion that should matter, is his. Jesus eats with the outcasts because they're the ones he came for. They are the brokenhearted, the ones with the broken lives, who are looking and searching for his salvation and healing. If you've ever spent any time in a hospital, you will know that they are not exactly known for their gourmet cuisine. <laughs> but some of the most beautiful meals I have ever seen have taken place under neon lights at 2 a.m. Because hospitals aren't a place that we usually go to by choice. No one really wants to be there. They remind us of our own frailty, our own mortality. They remind our, remind our friends and family of their own helplessness. 
They are a place, though, where barriers are stripped away. I have seen strangers that would never even nod to one another walking down the street, sitting at a table holding hands and crying in the early hours of the morning. And I have seen long-standing family feuds and grudges come tumbling down over a plastic cup of tapioca. See, Jesus doesn't deny that the Pharisees are righteous. He just tells them that that's not who he's here for. Because the problem with the righteous is that they can't see their own need because they are too busy looking at everybody else. Just like AA requires a person to admit their addiction, Jesus asks us to admit our need. Hi. I'm Brenna. I'm a sinner. But in order to do that, we have to stop caring about what other people think. We have to stop trying to protect our social standing and instead care about what Jesus thinks. Friends, there is no denying that we are sick. If you look around our communities and our country and our world, you, you can't miss it. 17 high school students died last week going to class. 17. There have been seven school shootings in 2018. It's February 18th. We have millions of people who are literally starving to death around the world while we have food that rots in cupboards and closets. We have people that sleep out in the cold on the street. We have children who go to school hungry and come home and go to bed hungry. And we fight and we refuse to talk to one another and we create violence with our words and division and anger and hate and we become more partisan and more antagonistic and more dismissive of the humanity and other people daily. We are sick and we are in need of healing. We are in need of the healer. Why does he eat with sinners? Because they're the ones he came to draw near to. They're the ones who laugh too loud and they talk too much and they don't get things quite right, but they keep their eyes open for him. And they are grateful for the invitation. They're not waiting to see who else might be at the table too. A new community is formed around the table of Jesus. And we all find ourselves being asked the question, will you accept the invitation or will you stay on the outside looking in?